Welcome to Origin Gates Daily Podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney sharing a thought with you today. One of the things I wanted to cover was the mystery of communion. And it all starts, I'll just give you a little bit of background, coming from Paul. We, we know him as Saul before he has his encounter with Messiah and he becomes Paul. This man is a well-educated man in the things of the law. His teacher was Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the three renowned teachers of the law in the time, in their time. So he wasn't a dummy when it came to the things of the law. As he has his transformation and he's now speaking to Jews and to Gentiles, he starts to explain to them that there are certain mysteries that had been hidden. They've been kept secret for such a time as this. He begins to give examples of some of the mysteries that have been hidden. One comes in Ephesians 3 verse 9. It says, And make plain to everyone the plan of the mystery regarding the uniting of the believing Jews and Gentiles into one body, which until now was kept hidden through the ages in the mind of God who created all things. In fact, I don't even think today we fully understand the mystery of the one new man, where Jews and Gentiles are now this one new body operating in a whole different way. When it talks about the one new man, I do not believe that it is Jewish. And I also do not believe it is Gentile. It is a new man using both of them. And I believe it looks totally different than what any of us think. But that's probably a mystery that's still going to come to fruition on the earth in its set time. Ephesians 1 verse 9 talks about the mystery of God's will through Jesus Christ. There was a mystery that was hidden about Yeshua and his role here. It's further expanded on in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. The wisdom of God is being released to us today that wasn't there since the beginning of the world. Otherwise, they would never have crucified Christ. I think if the mystery had been revealed any sooner than it was, even Satan himself would have gone, he would have known the purpose of Messiah coming and he would not have had him killed. You know, because the word talks about how the keys um, of hell the, to the gates of hell were taken when Yeshua was killed, when he died. And so had that mystery been revealed, he wouldn't have been killed. And so we wouldn't have had the salvation that we have through him. Colossians 1.26 even talks about mysteries that are hidden from the angels. It says, The mystery that was hidden from angels and mankind for ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. So here he's talking about the revelation of the cross. Now Paul connected with both Jews and Gentiles, and he's got two totally different mindsets that he's dealing with. The Jews demand, show me a sign in order for me to believe you. And they had the sign. I mean, Yeshua even said, I'm going to be killed, but I will rise again in three days. And when he rose again, which is probably the sign of all signs, they didn't see it or hear it or believe it. So they missed it completely. He also deals with the Greeks who have a different mindset. This is show me that it makes logical sense. Tick my philosophical boxes and then I'll believe you. So to the Jews, the cross was a stumbling block that provoked the opposition. Yeshua was not Messiah because he did not come in the way that they expected. To the Gentiles, though, the message of salvation is utter nonsense and foolishness because why would Messiah come in the form of a human being and then die for us? How does that make logical sense at all? But doesn't 1 Corinthians 1.27 say, 
God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound, to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God does not work in the way our logical mind says that he's supposed to work. It's also interesting that all the religions of the world, it is acceptable to die or to be made a sacrifice for a false god. We see this in the Viking tradition where someone would volunteer themselves, offer themselves to be a sacrifice to the gods in order to gain favor and to please them. Um, we also hear much about virgin sacrifices, you know, or to these false gods. But here Christianity is the only religion where your God dies for you to save you because he loves you. So communion, taking his body and his blood is actually a love affair. When he says, remember you know, and do this often and remember what I did. This is actually reminding you of his love affair for you. Now, if we look at the feasts of the Jews, these are actually rehearsals. They are practiced beforehand and then the event actually plays out and everybody knows their places. And if I can use the example of a wedding, we've just celebrated my youngest son's wedding with him and we had a rehearsal meaning everybody that's involved in the wedding party has to be there the day before and you all practice where does the groom stand where does the bride stand what's going to be happening where does the guest sit where do the guests of honor sit um, you walk through the whole process so that you know what to do and what your positions are as you come to the main event on the day and just like there's that kind of rehearsal to prepare everyone for the event, so there is also a rehearsal for the things of God. And if I can specifically talk about Passover, because this is connected to the mystery of communion. And so let me take you back a little way. It starts immediately after Joseph saves Egypt and the nations of the earth from famine. We know that he's put in position that he was there for a time, that he was there for a reason. And we know that as time goes on and as Joseph dies, the Israelites become slaves in Egypt. And this is actually not an attack of the devil because Genesis 15 talks about the plan of God. And I'll read it, what it says to you. It says, know for sure that your descendants will be strangers living temporarily in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. This was God's plan for his people. Okay, and here was the fulfillment of it. They were exactly that. They were oppressed. I'll tell you exactly how long they were oppressed for. It comes out of Exodus 12, 40 to 41. It says the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So 430 years is what it took for the Israelites to be in captivity according to the will of God. Now, I know that we don't like the sound of that. Why would God put us in captivity or his people? You know, he's just made covenants with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Why would he now put his people in captivity under hard oppressors? For all of this time, what the heck? Surely that's not God, right? We don't like to think of God as being like that. But that's what his will was. And we don't have to understand it. Stop being a Greek thinking in logical terms, okay? So we know that in their time of captivity, they start to fall under an Egyptian influence. 
the gods of Egypt, because we see that when they're in the desert and Moses doesn't come down the mountain, one of the first things they want to do is build a golden calf to worship it, to bow down and worship it. So we see that some of the influence of Egypt rubs off on them. They have this belief system in place. Their appetites are set. We even see this when Yahweh provides manna for the people and they start grumbling and complaining. Oh, if we only we could have the fish pots and the garlic and the leeks and the onions that came from Egypt. Their appetites are set according to their oppressors and their time in captivity. They've come under the voice print of the king in that territory. They've adopted some stuff, okay? Some even worship the gods of Egypt. We know that they were broken by hard labor. There was immense cruelty inflicted upon them, and some even died from their oppressors. Um, Exodus 1 verse 13 talks about these crippling injuries and weaknesses and sicknesses that came as a result of the cruelty. It says, and the Egyptians made the Israelites serve rigorously, forcing them into severe slavery. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar, brick, and all kinds of field work. We know that the word also says that God turns his ear and he hears their cries. The Israelites were hopeless. They were abused. They were voiceless slaves, but their cries go up into God's ears and he sends them a deliverer. Now let's come back to the rehearsals. Remember we were speaking about how the feasts are rehearsals of a main event. And I want to look uh, uh, I want to look over the very first Passover meal that was eaten the night before the Exodus. We know that the destroyer passes over Egypt and the life of every firstborn in every Egyptian household and of the animals is taken. Now there were instructions to the Israelites that they were to follow. Um, Exodus 12, 21 says, go take a lamb for yourself without spot or blemish. Now, this is a rehearsal. So bear this in mind when you're thinking of the actual event, when Yeshua comes and he lays down his life. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth and he was without spot and without blemish. There was no sin in him. It says, take a lamb for yourselves without spot or blemish according to the size of your families and slaughter it for the Passover lamb. Here's another interesting thing. Verse 22, it says, you shall take a bunch of hyssop. Remember, this is the rehearsal. Dip it in the blood of that lamb, which is in the basin, and touch some of the blood to the lintel above the doorway and to the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Why hyssop? Why dip it in the blood? Remember, Yeshua hadn't come yet, so there had to be um, um, a type and an anti-type happening here. So the word for hyssop in Hebrew is esop, and it means a holy herb, or herb, excuse my, let me use my American accent. Now, hyssop is considered to be spiritually purifying. If you look into what that exactly means, there's something spiritually purifying connected to hyssop. What does the blood of Yeshua do? The main event. It is spiritually purifying. It, the, it, it, when you look at the Hebrew, it also means it serves as an aid in cleansing oneself from sin, immorality, evil thoughts, or bad habits. What does the blood of Yeshua do for us? The method of using hyssop oil, whether inhaled or applied to the body, to purge oneself from iniquity, it has a scientific basis. Hyssop has constituents that can reprogram your DNA where there are sinful tendencies. Think about every time you take communion. What is that communion doing for you? 
it's reprogramming your DNA. So it's very interesting that hyssop is used in the Exodus, but also it's used when Yeshua is on the cross, when the actual main event is taking place. John 19, 29 says, Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Here we have Yeshua playing out the main event that has been rehearsed for all these years as the Exodus took place. All slavery ended when the Israelites left Egypt. That's what the blood of Yeshua does for us. It ends our slavery. Now, I just want to say another thing. Psalm 105.37, it talks about the crippled and the sick. Remember, they had hard taskmasters. Psalm 105.37 says that not only were they delivered, but they were instantly healed. Now, just imagine that. What if you crippled from the beating that you took? Now you're leaving Egypt, so every person left in perfect health. That was the rehearsal. Yeshua's blood now comes and his blood has paid for you to be delivered and instantly healed. They then go on a journey. So just, you know, this is something that we hear often. Oh, I don't have to do any work because the blood of Jesus has done it all for me. Yes, the potential of what the blood has paid for is that everything is taken care of. But the Israelites didn't walk out of captivity and out of slavery straight away and straight into the promised land. No, they had to go on a journey to their promised land. They had to kill giants. They had to eat manna to reprogram their appetites, you know, from Egypt. They had to learn how to take territory. This is the same thing with us. The blood of Jesus is made available. It has every potential in there for anything that you ever need. But you as a son have to learn how to appropriate, appropriate it and administrate what the blood actually does. We know then that the Pharaoh changes his heart and he sends his soldiers to come out after these guys. We know that the Red Sea or the Reed Sea splits open and they walk through on dry land. But then also when Pharaoh's army pursued the Israelites, we know that the waters closed in on them, killing horses um, um, and people alike. And so just as your um, principalities and powers of your bloodline pursue you, that blood and that rehearsal just sees those waters coming in over your pursuers and taking them down. The Lord fights for you, right? The word also says in um, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord fights for you while you only need to keep silent and remain calm. That's in one of the, the different translations of it. So you do have to do something with it. Now the body and the blood. John 6.33 The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Taking that communion is like eating that revelation that gives life to the world. Sometimes we get fresh bread out of heaven, fresh revelation that brings life, but we want to puke it out because it doesn't taste like the garlic, the onion, the stinky food that religion has dished up for us. There's so much more in the blood of Yeshua than we actually know of. What about the blood? You know, the word talks about how the life is in the blood. When you take that blood of Yeshua, it contains his DNA, transforming your DNA into his image. We, we, we see this even with people who have had organ transplants and blood transfusions where they take on the memory of their donors. This is the same thing. This is what communion is all about. It's about taking on the memory to be transformed into the image of Christ. So I know that there's been a lot in here. 
But that is just a taste of what communion does. The mystery of communion being a love message to you about everything that it's paid for. But now we have to actually grow up. We have to take responsibility and we have to learn how to apply his blood so that we so that he gets everything that he's paid for and we live in the fullness that he intended for us to have through his blood. I bless you today. I hope you have an awesome day and I look forward to catching up with you next time.